here at the Fort Wayne Farm Show talking with Brianna Schrader, and she is an attorney, and I got a chance to listen to a little bit of your talk over lunch today. I spoke with Randy Crone with the Indiana Farm Bureau at the annual conference, and our conversation was about the bigger umbrella of land use. There's so many topics underneath that. The waters of the U.S. is still a big issue. Annexation of farmland into cities. And one of the things that's really cropped up kind of recently is a group called Renewable Energy. And they're a group that does marvelous things with solar. One of the big issues in farming these days is, is that we don't want to see farmland covered up with solar panels. So we're talking about the opportunities to put solar on the roof. But then you brought up a couple of things I think that are pretty interesting. And I think as we've had that conversation about covering up really good farm ground, what do we do underneath those panels? Talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's been kind of a recent thing. It's pretty new to us here in the United States, but they've been doing it in Europe and the Middle East. And so the, the fancy term they always use is agrivoltaics, right? Sharing the sun, dual use of the land. So you still have the panels creating that clean energy, but under the panels, around the panels, everything from planting native plants that will support pollinators. Out west, they're doing fruits and vegetables under the panel around the panels where it's cooler and so they can grow better and with less water. Here in Indiana and the Midwest, I think from an agrivoltaics perspective, sheep are going to be the big thing. Sheep not only reduce the cost of operating because they are eating that grass, keeping things trimmed, but they can also produce another stream of income for the landowner, for the solar company. And it's another way to use that traditionally agricultural ground for an ag use. I think we're going to see modified row crops here in the five, ten years into the future that can be grown between the rows of panels, under the panels. So we're going to find ways to use that ground to create the clean energy from solar and to keep farming it. What are some of the other topics when we look at that big umbrella of land use here in the state of Indiana that are so critical, particularly now that we're in a legislative session? Yeah, great question. And what we see a lot of times, there's this tension between private property rights, which here in Indiana we hold very sacred, right? I can do what I want with my land as long as it doesn't hurt you. So some of the things where we see that pop up is not only solar, but it's also in carbon sequestration, so sequestering CO2 deep underground. It is in, historically and traditionally, it's been um, livestock farms, right? Uh, modern livestock farms that maybe um, not everybody wants in their backyards. We also have seen a lot lately with economic development projects where maybe the state is really pushing a, a project or and, and sometimes for a very good reason, but that can run into, when we talk about economic development, we have to remember that farmland is not just a placeholder. Farmland is not just land waiting to be developed into something better. It has its own good use, good value. And so finding a way to kind of balance some of those conflicting interests is, I think, it, the rubber really hits the road when we talk about local land use policies um, and how counties handle that, how states handle that. You know, when I talk to a lot of the heads of some of the state organizations, and certainly nationally as well, waters of the U.S., still a huge issue. We thought that SOTUS was going to do something that would help, didn't work. EPA still looking for a little escape routes in that whole thing. Where do we go from here? That, that's a great question. I mean, we've got the Sackett decision from the summer, right? And that, in theory, was going to be the end-all, be-all that told us all what the law was on waters of the United States. Um, that's not been the case. The EPA had its final, final, final amended rule, I think we're at right now. Um, but we've already seen lawsuits across the country. Indiana's joined one of them to block that. 
So um, we're seeing that that is not truly the end-all be-all that we thought it was going to be. Um, one thing I think that came out of the Sackett decision from the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court said there's really ought to be some state primacy here. States ought to take care of their own water resources and manage their water resources. So I think we're going to continue to see that line of thinking, at least from this court, which means states um, are going to have to decide state by state how they're going to handle it. Indiana, we've got, if we're talking about wetlands, we've got our isolated wetlands law. We can have an argument all day about how effective or not that is, or if it's too far reaching or not. What we're seeing with some of these economic development projects is when we talk about water withdrawal, compared to some of those western states, we've got a lot of water, but it's not infinite. So Arizona and California are famous for, you know, they have to meter their water or tax water withdrawal. Here in Indiana, you can dig a well and more or less pump as much water as you want. But we're starting to, to hear about how that um, could go wrong, right? If they're going to pump water out of one county and ship it to another county for an economic development project, there's no state law stopping them from doing that. But what do local landowners think about that? That's, I think, a problem. We're going to be talking about water here in Indiana like they do now in Arizona. But with regard to waters of the U.S., I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, the answer is really we got to get Congress to, you know, lay down some laws so that this WOTUS thing doesn't keep on changing every time, you know, a president changes in office. Yeah, good luck, right? I mean, so we're left with this sort of um, the executive branch every four years uh, changes the definition for waters of the United States. One of the other things, though, too, is the subjectiveness of field agents. Yeah, and we've also seen, um, you know, a lot of times the handbooks that the folks are using when they come out to a farm um, to determine whether or not we've got a water of the United States, we've got a wetland. These are still handbooks that date back to the 1980s that the Army Corps is using. And there are updates that continue to happen, but so much of it is based on subjective criteria that what one person thinks is a wetland, another person might think is an ephemeral area that you know doesn't qualify. And I don't fault them for that because they've got this kind of moving target where what's a regulated jurisdictional water today might not be tomorrow. Brianna Schrader, great talking to you. Look forward to keeping in touch with you. All right, thank you. Podcasts by Federated Media.